Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning into the weekly episode of the Main Idea Podcast. Before we get started, I have some brief housekeeping. If you enjoy this podcast, please take the time to leave a five-star review on Spotify or Apple. The reviews are what help this podcast get discovered, and it's the second best way to show support for the show. The first is to check out my amazing sponsor, Athletic Greens, via the link in the show notes. Here, you'll find a special promotion for my listeners aimed at leveling up your health and saving you some cash. You can also follow along and subscribe on YouTube via the channel link in the notes if you prefer to watch the podcast in its entirety. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with my good friend, Alex Pasternak. Alex currently serves as co-founder and president of Binsk, an award-winning multi-state cannabis brand pioneering the premium market through its meticulous focus on standards, quality, and consistency. With his vision and development strategy, Alex has helped grow Binsk's suite of 150-plus purposely sourced cannabis products to over six states and 750-plus doors, which, in 2022, earned him the recognition of Cannabis Biz Executive of the Year. He holds a Bachelor's of Arts and Sciences in Civil Engineering from the University of Colorado Boulder and resides between Los Angeles, California and Miami, Florida. I think that you'll be surprised at how Alex's story began and share the excitement of where it's headed, just as I have in this episode. Unfortunately, we suffered a loss of audio during the conversation, so from 1 hour and 19 minutes to 1 hour and 25 minutes, Alex's audio is somewhat jumbled. I apologize for this, but please know that I did everything in my power to save it. Without further ado, Alex Pasternak. When you were in college, you actually got suspended for something related to cannabis. And now you're the co-founder and president of a bustling cannabis business that's actually in over 750 doors. You guys are in six states. You're growing like crazy. You're acquiring other companies. Can you talk to me a little bit about the maybe the irony there and what happened when you were back in Boulder? Yeah, it's uh it's pretty uh it's pretty ironic to to say that actually. Um I've been passionate about the plant since uh high school days to be honest. I um I was prescribed on Adderall at age 7, at way too early of an age and started to self-medicate on cannabis in high school. Um, when I learned about Boulder and the University of Colorado, when I went and toured it and the reputation that it had, I, I had a um, affinity towards it and was excited to kind of try to figure out a way to get to Boulder. And so at Boulder, I, um, I definitely indulged in, in some cannabis products. Cannabis also went legal while we were in school at Boulder together, Abe, as you remember. Um, and unfortunately I, I did get into some trouble in Boulder and, um, I did get suspended for a semester from the university of Colorado for cannabis, uh, you know, a couple of, uh, a couple of, uh, miscommunications, you can say the least. And, uh, I, I ended up getting suspended my junior year for a semester. So yeah, full circle to end up back in Colorado to start a cannabis brand years later with my brother. Um, Jake and, and it's, uh, it is a pretty funny story to, I, f- I feel like on. that's kind of like when the teacher's like, you're never going to be anything. And then that student goes on and they, they like become a, an A-list Hollywood celebrity or they start some big business and then they go back and they're kind of like, look at me now. I mean, not only did you go on to start multiple businesses, but the fact that Bint's actual product, you guys have a lot of grow in Colorado, which is the same place where you're getting suspended from school. Did you ever think when you were, 
when you were younger, when you were growing up, when you were, you know, prescribed Adderall, but you're medicating with marijuana, that you would live in a world where you could do something like you're doing right now? I mean, that's insane. Yeah, I never did actually think about it. Just in terms of timeline, you know, Boulder won like number one party school in like 2005, 2006 when we were in high school. So I was excited to to take my talents to uh, to Colorado. <laughs> party time. Um, and then while in Colorado, Colorado went legal. And that was when, I, I don't know if you remember, but I became a med patient while, um, I think sophomore or junior year in, in Boulder. So I was 19, 20 years old and I became a Colorado medical patient. And I went in and shopped at this one store in particular, um, down, down on like Pearl street area. Um, that's actually owned by a good friend of mine in the industry now and just full circle for legalization to occur while we were in Colorado and then to um, end up back in Colorado, like you said, building out our grow. Funny enough, Abe, our grow is actually in Steamboat Springs, as you know. And I know, in Oak is, Creek. Exactly, Oak yeah. Creek, you're, uh, basically your hometown. So to be back in Steamboat building out a grow years later is uh, pretty wild. But you already had... Uh like an entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, in Boulder, you're studying engineering, which is challenging in and of itself, right? That's a highly demanding pursuit. And at the same time that you're doing that, you launch Where the Party, which maybe you want to explain a little bit to people that don't know what Where the Party was, how that came about. I mean, that's really kind of where you got your feet wet in starting a business, running a business, seeing how everything works from the top all the way down to the bottom. So how did that come up and what was it like getting that off the ground? Yeah. Uh, wow. Blast from the past where the party days uh, haven't really gone into this one in a minute. But um, we were in college also sophomore year and came across a glow in the dark ink. It was um, similar to the, the sun and the moon and the stars that kids stick onto their ceiling at night that stays illuminated when the lights go off. It was a very similar ink to that that we started to screen print onto onto clothing, and so it was light reactive apparel. I um, it, it was a, a it's a wearable technology that we built into a clothing line, and every single item would come with an LED light, and you could actually communicate on the clothing. So, phone numbers, smiley faces, tic tac toe. Um, we ended up making shirts for, I believe, 42 music festivals over the next four years, uh, shirts for Coachella and South by Southwest and Ultra in Miami and Camp Bisco and, and walk, just a, literally a long EDC, Marquee, Las Vegas, just a laundry list of, um, of events, artists. And, you know, during that time, that EDM scene was starting to take off and we uh, with a couple partners, built a brand in the the clothing line and the the lifestyle um, wearable tech space that played into that arena. Um, Where the party was about a three and a half four year project. I ended up moving out to Los Angeles after school to try to continue getting Where the Party up and running. Um, really funny story is I made it to a sixth round Shark Tank audition for <laughs> Where the Party, and I had a film date lined up i had a producer that was working with me on my one minute pitch and you know you know how they come out and they do their hey i'm i'm alex and here's my company where the party and so i was working on my pitch i had a film date i was ready to go and fly to, to la because i at this moment wasn't actually in la and um right before this happened the the whole episode fizzled and, and that was kind of where i decided to hang it up and uh it, it was a fun run, but it was, uh, you know, more than anything, a, a learning lesson in How did, business as a whole. When I think back to that time that you were growing that, I mean, 
obviously it's an interesting idea to like go all in on and it's your idea your and your your partner's idea but that was also at a time where i mean this is going to sound insane to even say but social media didn't exist yet you know like we we weren't on instagram in college there wasn't not every single brand had a social footprint so what did you learn about marketing a product and a brand in an age when you didn't have the same mediums that we have available now, the same ability to partner with people that have influence and reach and engagement. Like, how did you get it to that level where you're doing entire shows and concerts and trying to get into NBA games and stuff like that? It is funny that you say that because now looking back, I think we would have tried to get a viral TikTok video to show the technology and, and let it be shown to the masses. And we didn't have that ability. Um, it was really just grinding, pounding the pavement. You know, I started off hitting up sororities and fraternities on campus at Boulder, trying to get their upcoming T-shirt to be a glow-in-the-dark T-shirt. And from there, I started to go into music festivals. And from there, I had a deal in place with the Golden State Warriors to do one T-shirt on every single seat inside the entire arena for an upcoming playoff game. So I just started to kind of build and build and build. At the end of the day, I wasn't a screen printer. I wasn't manufacturing these garments. I was middlemanning these garments. And so it was kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul, so to speak, of, of trying to figure out the best way to, to kind of middleman these deals and, and broker them at the same time building a brand. So uh, table, set up a booth, hand out stickers, bring brand awareness on a literally a street level gorilla kind of style. Um, grueling and time consuming and you know, ended up kind of traveling around for two years, going to as many music festivals as possible. So it's, it's exhausting. Uh, yeah, it's exhausting. So how did you know? I mean, I feel like in many people's entrepreneurial careers or any career in that regard, the decision to hang it up or to walk away from something is tough. It can be tough if it's athletics, if it's anything that you grew with your own efforts and inputs. What was it about that? despite the successes that you were seeing that you knew it was time to walk away because it wasn't, I know that it wasn't, you walked away directly for Binsk, you know, and you couldn't foresee yet the successes that Binsk would achieve. So to walk away yep. from something, you'd put so much energy. You said it was four years. How do you make that decision as a business leader, as the person who's running the income for your own life? And what goes into that decision-making process for you? Yeah. Um, you know, they say that all entrepreneurs in general claim that they're just one deal away from making it big. And in my head for multiple years, I was like, if I could get this Warriors deal done, if I could get the Shark Tank, I, I literally for years thought that I was just one big deal away from where the party becoming a global glow in the dark clothing brand, which is even funny to say out loud <laughs> right now. But um I, I suffered from kind of being, you know, too ingrained in the business where I, I literally started to believe it so much. And I obviously wouldn't have done it for that many years if I didn't believe in it. Um, but there comes a point where you look at where you you have this vision of where you want your life to go. And then you have the trajectory that you're on. And sometimes if that trajectory doesn't seem to align with where you want to be, you start to get a little anxious and stressed. And so I started to realize that the lifestyle that I want to have one day for my family and provide for my kids and, and, and such was not necessarily the trajectory that I was on with selling glow shirts and building where the party. Right. And it was a, a more of a niche product to your point, very niche product. I also 
you know, really interesting that you bring this up because it, it, I just thought of this actually. Towards the end of Wear the Party, I stopped wearing the clothes of Wear the Party. And wow. for me to be pushing something and no longer be an ambassador and no longer me being really stoked on wearing it on a daily basis was kind of the other, you know, turning point of the whole thing of what am I doing here and how do I get this done? I, I don't mean to make it sound like because I'm in cannabis now that I need to smoke weed all day every day or if you're in alcohol that you're getting drunk all day. Right. So it's not like you need to always be the 24-7 ambassador for the industry or the brand that you're in at the same time. I started to just realize how niche it is. And um, since then, the, the, that concept has been knocked off by a couple other people. I saw a company recently pop up out of the UK. And so there, there is legs to it. It is an interesting concept, but I've decided to kind of move into something that's a little less niche and something that I think makes more sense. But yeah, you're right. I, I didn't go directly to Binsk. I ended up moving back to Miami. I got into medical sales for a couple of years in, in Miami. And that was the, the bridge between where the party and Bensk. Was that like one of, I mean, that moment where you're, you just poured, you know, years of your life into growing something as you admitted to, you're kind of always expecting that the next deal is going to be the deal that really takes up, blows this thing out of the water and puts you in that position to have this lifestyle that you want. When you're in that limbo, like, you don't want to be doing, you just came out of creating this amazing thing. And now you're in medical sales doing MRI sales. Like, where is that one of those moments where you're kind of going, what, like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? What am I, or do I, do I need to go back to school? Do I need to get like further my degree? How was it being in that post, like walking away from your business pre Binsk really coming into play? Like, what was that space like for you? Yeah, so I was about 24, 25 years old, still living in Venice Beach right after college. And at this moment, I was starting to realize that where the party was on its way out. Um, my dad and my stepmom were giving me the old, hey, like, FYI, you have an engineering degree from a great university. Why don't you maybe consider going to be a engineer? While working at like a hostel, too. Right. Venice Beach Hostel, the other room on Abikini, SAT tutor. Don't forget, I had a variety of odd jobs to try to make ends meet during those times living in Venice. I was a broke 22, 23 year old trying to figure it out like the best of us. Um, but yeah, I think to your point, it's um, it was something that my, my parents did us degree. We spent a ton of money and you spent a ton of time on this. Like, what are we doing here? And so I actually, believe it or not, took an engineering job in Miami and I moved back from LA to Miami for an engineering job. Um, it was a civil engineering job where I was working on concrete restoration and helping bridge building and, and such. Um, and I, I lasted about 14 days, I would say two to three Sick. weeks until I said to my dad, yo, I'm out. And he's like, what do you mean you're out? Yeah. You know, you just move cross country. You gotta give this at least a, yeah. you know, a significant amount of time. Um, and I own a radiology facility, one of the largest radiology centers in the country. And they brought me in to do MRI medical sales. Like you said, uh, I said to him, I don't know anything about MRI or, or the medical industry as a whole. And he's like, no, 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 you're good. You're good. And, um, I ended up pivoting over to medical sales and that was really the beginning of my, my sales, um, career in the sense of just, you know, managing clients, CRMs, how to build accounts, how to go from prospect to lead to customer and, and realizing that just all of sales is relationship based. And so 
Um, I really don't think it matters if it's insurance sales, cannabis sales, MRI sales. It's really just who you know and building the network. And so I um, yes, I think that's one of my best skill sets at this point is being a, a, a master schmoozer, a, a big networker, and um, understanding how to do it from doctors and attorneys in Miami to then pivot over to cannabis. And, you know, my first real position with Binsk was director of sales. I was knocking on dispensary doors at the beginning, selling chocolate bars. And the built through going to these these conferences and, and networking and meeting people, shaking hands and, and schmoozing. So right. um, that was a big kind of uh, that was a big part of it all. Well, that's such a that's such a valuable part, because I feel like especially nowadays, I, I talk about this all the time on the podcast with different people at different points in their careers. But it's so common that people always want the end result like. They want their body to look the way that it does after years of training. They want their business to be making millions of dollars. They want their product to be in every single store. And if that's what you're always focused on, you miss this really valuable part where like you get boots on the ground, you get your own sleeves rolled up. And if you look at your position now as co-founder and president of this growing company that's doing incredibly well, and yet you are working at a hostel and then you were in medical sales and you were, you know, you're doing all these things that you can only connect the dots looking backwards. But with each of those experiences, each of those companies that you were a part of, the sales relationship building skills that you learned in med sales, those are all things that contribute to your success in your current position. So if you're someone who wants to grow a business into a multi-million dollar business, there's so much value in the in-between in the being the broke 24 year old, 22 year old living in Venice, you know, splitting rent and room with someone else just to make ends meet because you can't teach that part of it to anyone who comes into the business. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do think Abe, when you have your back against the wall, it makes you really figure some shit out. And, um, I got cut off by the parents after yeah. college and I, I truly had my back against the wall. I had to go figure out a way to make ends meet. Um, I was starting to make good cash in Miami on the medical sales side. And I had a decision to make, do I, do I go to Colorado partner with my brother and, and go launch a cannabis brand? That is a very risky opportunity at that time. Also, there was only two States that were becoming legal, right? This wasn't a thing like it is now. And as a reference now, there's 33 medical States, 19 recreational States. The risk factor of the cannabis industry is no longer there. So when you meet people now, they're in right. the cannabis industry. Most of them have joined over the last couple of years where there wasn't much of a risk factor. 2014, 2015, when these conversations were being had, there was a massive risk factor going on. And so um, deciding to to leave medical sales, which in my opinion was was a, a pretty good position with a great you know salary and, and good inflow of cash, the the decision was, do I want to go bet on myself again? Do I want to go bet on a, you know, instead of working for the man and, and for the bigger self and put my head down and grind and potentially have something that is substantial at the end of the day. And I, I do believe that my work ethic and, and the way that I, um, the way that I started to build my, my sales acumen, my business acumen, I, I decided I want to go bet on myself. And um, I'll never forget this, but my brother moved out to Colorado um, before I did. And, and he was out there and, and basically was getting everything in, in motion to to launch a cannabis brand. And so he was buying a, a piece of land and, and getting some infrastructure together and getting licenses together. And he basically called me and said, you know, where are you at? How, how do I get you to come out here? And 
Um, I told him that, you know, man, I'm good. I, I went to Boulder already. I've, I've spent my tokens in Colorado. I'm, I'm good on moving back to Colorado and I wish you the best. I'm, I'm making good money in medical sales and I'm good. And shortly thereafter, I think like a day or two later, he called me back and was like, what's your tipping point? How, what is your number and how do we make this work? Yeah. And I, and that's your own brother. It's my own blood brother. Exactly. And, uh, and I, I threw a number out of, uh, of thin air and, and kind of said, I, you know, if I was going to do it, this is what I would like to do in terms of a partnership. And he basically said, done, let's go via text. And I, I then said, looked myself in the mirror and said, oh, shit, guess I'm moving back to Colorado. So um, sold everything I owned at that point in Miami, quit the job in medical sales and moved out to Colorado, partnered with my brother late 2015, early 2016. Um, and at that point we had to figure out what our plan was. We had no idea the, the exact path that we were going to take. Um, but we knew that we were both passionate about the plant since high school days and to end up being two stoner brothers that actually got off the couch and went to go get into the industry. And just, instead of just sitting on the couch and watching the industry come through is something that um, I look back and just, I, you know, it was the best decision of both of our lives to, to go into that. Well, uh, and that shows in, in your business and in your product. I mean, Vince, cause very clearly a quality first brand, like you guys are obviously knowledgeable on the individual level, both you and Jake, as well as I'm sure all your employees, but it comes through in the, not only just the product itself, the quality, the branding, the design, the professional, like nothing is skipped. And I feel like you, like you said, your passion about the plant for eons, right? For as long as you can remember that kind of stuff shows through because it's who you guys are at your core, right? So even without the business, that's how you would think about the plant. That's how you would talk about it with friends. That's what you would look for. And whatever the business is, when that's how you are about something before it exists, and it's only natural that you, that you become that way when the product's are realized when you think back to that time that you left and and you actually said okay i'm out i'm going with jake i'm going to take this offer even though it's my brother and it's in colorado yada yada what is it about that entrepreneurial spirit that draws you in because a lot of people and, and i don't even mean this to dog on people there are people very happy in a structured career where they work for someone else and that's invaluable positions within every business. All businesses need happy employees that are doing their job. Some people just aren't drawn to that. It's like a resistance. What is it about being an entrepreneur versus the clear path of, of executing, taking all the skill sets, all the things that you have, your work ethic, your drive, your consistency, and deciding not to do that under someone else's roof? Why are you pulled to do that towards for yourself? I think, Abe, the, the bottom line answer to the question is when you're an entrepreneur, you get a bet on yourself and you're not you're not betting on the company. Right. If you're working at IBM or Salesforce and tens of thousands of employees, you're, you're just working in the infrastructure and you're helping them try to move the, the big picture needle for entrepreneurship. And so collaborations, launching this, doing that new SKU product launch, expansion into these territories no one is to tell us yes and no. And, and we have full control and full navigational you know, ability to kind of figure out how we want to continue to move this thing forward. And for me, 
the bottom line again is the ability to bet on yourself is something that I would do over and over and over and over again before going to work for a corporate company at this point in my life. And um, I do agree with you. A lot of people would say it's too risky and I'd rather get a steady paycheck and not have to deal with it. Um, but I, I am not one of those. I'm a risk taker and I'd rather have more upside, high risk, high upside and bet on myself. Yeah. And it, it, I think one, one cool thing, it's interesting, you know, having the art behind you is there is an artistic element to this. Like you get to be a business builder, an entrepreneur, uh, impact the lives of multiple people that work for you as the company grows and do all this stuff. But then you also get to throw this artistic spin on it of who you are. And if you look at the partnerships, for example, that you guys are doing with Intelligentsia and Keep, that's an expression of who you are, right? How cool is that, that you get to choose to collaborate on things that already mean something in your life? So, I mean, maybe you can even talk a little bit about that with Intelligentsia is a staple coffee roaster in Venice, Right. And it's somewhere that we've spent hundreds of hours. How did that partnership come about? And what does it mean to you to be able to align yourself with brands that you are already such a fan of with what you've now grown into this company? The bottom line is it's an absolute dream come true. Um, for the cannabis people that are listening to this, I think most people would agree that cannabis and coffee go really well together. Um, just a quick example is and have for decades, decades. right? Amsterdam. Yeah, exactly. Um, if you think about it, sometimes you get like a little too stony and you want to kind of snap out of it and you take a shot of espresso or sometimes you feel like a little tweaky off cold brew and you want to take a hit of a J and, and they actually have a perfect balance. If you can get the right balance between the two that gets you a really well balanced kind of you know, energetic, euphoric high with a, a little bit of coffee and a little bit of, uh, of cannabis mixed. And so we have a pretty robust edible line and we have a, a good chocolate story, a, a backstory with cacao that comes from Peru and all these different flavors of, of chocolate. And I really was interested in launching a, a coffee flavored chocolate bar, an espresso flavored chocolate bar. And, you know, raw ingredients for us is something that has been a, a big por a big point of what we've done to build the reputation that we have of, of best edible brand from Leafly the first year that we launched in 2017. Um, and so sourcing raw ingredients that are high quality ingredients, artisanal craft ingredients has been something that's that's, you know, a backbone of, of the business. And so um intelligentsia is literally my number one favorite coffee roaster and back to your previous question of being a trailblazer in an industry that's never been done before in its infancy stages i i live every day of why not Who, who's to tell me no why why not go for it and so i literally hit up uh, a gentleman by the name of kevin off of linkedin uh intelligentsia by the way even though they have a huge presence in venice they're actually headquarters in chicago illinois they have um distrib no yeah idea. they're they're, a, they're an illinois based coffee roaster and they have distribution in over a thousand roasters huh. across the country they have brick and mortar across the country including melrose and abbott kinney and, and all over los angeles um but i basically reached out to here i am thinking it was like a, a venice local hotspot <laughs> even living there for a decade nice Right. I think everyone thinks that. Yeah, I think everyone thinks that because their presence out here. But 
Um, I ended up reaching out to a gentleman off LinkedIn named Kevin, and I just kind of said, hey, man, I'm Alex from Binsk. I would love to talk to you a little bit. And he introduced me to his boss, and his boss climbed the ladder a little bit. The next thing you know, I was on a Zoom call with the CEO of Intelligentsia pitching him on this idea of you know, the perfect combination of cannabis and coffee and telling him exactly what I just told you a minute ago. And it was a couple other people on the call. And when I use the analogy of, you know, when you're a little shaky in the morning and you need a hit of a J to balance you out, the, just, the call just went crickets, so no dead silent. And I could tell that they were maybe not the, the biggest everyday cannabis consumers like maybe I am. And uh, it was really funny, but we ended up getting a deal signed and we now have Binsk brand. Um, we're looking to expand that relationship. We'll be launching additional SKUs with them on the THC side and hopefully on the hemp side as well. Um, and then we, we can get to this in a minute, but we're opening a store in, in Miami and that store will have uh, an intelligentsia kind of barista station cafe within the store. What, is it, what does it mean to you when you align with, some, with a brand like intelligentsia? The brand like... I feel like that's one of those moments that kind of tells you a lot about what you're doing. You know what you're doing because you're running a business and you're growing this thing into, into this huge juggernaut. But when someone says yes on a partnership like that, what does that tell you about your brand? It's the ultimate third-party validation is what it is. Um, when you're grinding every day and you're stuck in the trenches, it's hard for you to have the visibility from the outside of how you're perceived. And so you don't always know how, how is this brand compared to other cannabis brands or are we, it was exactly that. It was validation of the reality of the situation of, of being one of the larger cannabis brands with one of the larger footprints in the industry with the states in, in, in dispensary count that you mentioned earlier of six states have a bigger reach than us. And so um, it's, it's a compelling opportunity for a group like Intelligentsia and for them to say, you know, we believe in, in you guys and what you've built and the brand that you've built, the art, the raw ingredients, the packaging, the, you know, the team that you have, the leadership team, the C-suite, um, it, it is the ultimate, uh, reassurance of, we must be on a right track here. It is fascinating when you consider how interesting, I mean, again, I, I draw the comparison to the artwork behind you. It's the intricacy of your brand that on the, on the front side, it's like, it's just a weed brand, but it's not. And then if you look further into that, it's how intricate every decision that you guys make actually is. <clears throat> and then how those intricate decisions contribute to the quality of a product. Because in a world where you're trying to differentiate yourself between all the other million brands that someone's going to see when they walk into a dispensary or like a MedMen or something like that, being able to bank your existence on quality and doing things like using raw ingredients, something that is very easy to overlook and might be not cost effective for a company that's starting up. Those kind of decisions become so yep. integral. And <clears throat> when I think to... Coffee shops are a great example because you can go into a coffee shop and you instantly know if it's your vibe or not from the extent that they've gone to to get the decoration right, the design of the furniture, the cups that they use, <clears throat> which espresso machine that they have. All that kind of stuff matters so much when a consumer is making a decision and they're not even aware of it. You're not even really aware of how many things you're processing when you're choosing what coffee shop to go to what medical marijuana product to purchase when you're in a dispensary. 
how did you guys decide that that was going to be such an important part of growing this brand instead of trying to cut corners and go that way? Yeah. So because cannabis is in its infancy stages, when people walk into the store, the, the, the newest metric that I've heard is 76% of customers walking into a dispensary are undecisive of what they're going to buy at that moment. If you think about that stat one more time, 76% of the people walking into a cannabis shop don't know what they're going to buy upon walking in. And so the whole thing is the bud tenders, right? And how do the products look on the shelf? And so let me give you an alcohol comparison here. I, um, I've gotten into Mezcal over the last couple of years, like you have as well. And for Mezcal, you know, trendy, trendy very right <laughs> on, on, on brand here. So for Mezcal, we weren't drinking Mezcal in college, right? We were not drinking Mezcal in high school. I didn't have brand affinity and a brand that I liked on the Mezcal side of things. So over the last couple of years, when I go into a liquor store, you bet your ass that the brand that looks the prettiest, the, the nicest looking bottle is usually who I'm going to lean towards. And so we felt the same kind of idea here with in, in this infancy stages when people don't know in the bud tenders, which for people that are not familiar, bud tenders is the word for the, the, the employees inside the cannabis shops that are selling the products. Um, instead of just relying on the bud tenders to like us and to move our products, let's on, on our packaging alone, I do feel like we have probably, if not the best, some of the best packaging in the industry, by far some of the sexiest. Um, and then the best part is, is that we're not disguising poor product with beautiful packaging. We know that our product is a home run product. And so for us to get the beautiful, a long lasting customer of ours. And so it's right. a multi-prong approach to, to build this brand from packaging, raw ingredients, quality of the cannabis oil, customer service and everything all together. Um, but I really do think, you know, going back to that liquor thing, you're not going to go into a liquor store and say to the clerk, hey, which vodka should I buy? You've been forming your own opinion for many years. And that that opinion, that that decision is not for the clerk anymore. But Mezcal is just really interesting to consider because it's a newer thing and you don't really know. And so you're asking the clerk or you're, you're making a right. judgment based on appearance of the bottle. And so that was something that when we launched, we wanted to make sure that we had some of the best packaging in the industry. You had alluded to this, the opening of the Miami store, which we'll talk about in depth here in a moment, but why didn't you go the brick and mortar approach when you started this brand? Because that seems like a really simple way to control all the touch points, right? You, you own the business, you own the look of it, the feel of it. You're going to control the customer's experience when they come into the store. But Vince didn't choose to do that. Granted, I'm sure there's a lot of legal loopholes that you would have had to try to jump through to make that happen. But why is it that now, you know, five years into this, five and a half years into this, you're choosing to go the brick and mortar route and then expand a little bit on what that store is going to be like in Miami? So the store that we're opening in Miami is not going to be a THC store. It's a lifestyle store, which I'll get to in a second. On the THC side and why we didn't go into the dispensaries, you know, there's about 800 dispensaries in California alone. There's about 700 in Colorado. You start to add all these other states and there's probably 10,000 shops in the U.S. alone right this second. So for us, getting into the retail side of things, we didn't think made a lot of sense. And Jake and I don't have a retail background. So we, we felt like this is a little bit out of our comfort zone here. What we decided to do was go into the brand play. And so what we've built is a brand. When you talk to people that say right. that they're in cannabis, the real question is, what do you do in cannabis? Are you a cultivator? Are you a producer? Are you a brand? Are you a retailer? Do you, are you, you know, decided to really carve out as the brand side. And so 
there's a, an acronym MSO in the cannabis industry, which stands for multi-state operator. I describe us to be the first MSB or a multi-state brand. We're, we're the, you know, we got compared recently to the Casamigos of, of the cannabis industry. And that's kind of the idea here is being a true brand that is replicated in all of these different markets. Um, you know, the, looking at a, a company like Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola is so massive that they don't produce all of their own products anymore. They outsource production to some groups in some countries for them to produce their recipe on their behalf, delivering the same exact finished product, but they don't have to produce every single place, every single product in every single place. And so the end consumer, if you're in India or Indiana or London, you know, it doesn't matter who produced that Coca-Cola. You just care that you're getting the same Coca-Cola, right? And so that that is what we've done on the brand side of, of building out this msb is to replicate the exact same products inside of every single territory um the interesting yeah. thing about the miami store going back to that for a second if you if you think about supreme and, and this i'm stealing from my brother because he loves this analogy but i gotta gotta steal it from him if you think about supreme starting off as a skateboard company right and you're a skateboarder abe so you, you know this very well if you then looked at last year's revenue of Supreme, what do you think their skateboard revenue was of their total global revenue last year? I mean, maybe nothing, right? Like they're not, they're selling lifestyle to you and they're selling the clothing and skateboarding's the backdrop. And like they're doing collabs with BMW and Gucci and, and all these high-end luxury brands now. And so um, the evolution of Supreme going from a skateboard company to a true lifestyle brand is the evolution that we are trying to be taking that we're trying to take Vince gone right now from right now. Our revenue is tied to basically a hundred percent THC. And we believe that Binsk has what it takes to become a true lifestyle brand where THC is, we're not shying away from it. We're not leaving it, but it is a bucket, not the bucket. And so this Miami store for us will be the real the the first real showing of us as a lifestyle brand. And so the store I, w I wish I could do some screen shares and show it to you, but the store has well we can uh we can link it. We'll link it in like the YouTube and the show notes and everything. So if you have stuff that's visual, we can give that to the the users. But go ahead. The 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 backbone of the store will be a clothing store 1A. And then 1B, we're going to have the Intelligentsia Barista Station Cafe inside of the store. We'll also do some swag and accessories and, and some hemp products. But the whole idea is we can move out of just being THC. And so um, Lakeep and Intelligentsia are two brands that both my brother and I have had a great affinity towards for, for almost 10 years, respectively, both. And so to have signed agreements and, and executed products with both companies, um, that is the backbone of this store. And that is something that we're really pumped on. And we will fill out the rest of the store with additional collaborations, which is what I'm working on right now. So that's amazing. I mean, that essentially it puts a Binsk heartbeat into Miami. It gives you guys a brick and mortar spot to start to share your lifeblood, right? Like, I mean, this becomes experiential. At this point, someone's walking into the store and they're hit with so much more of who you are than just the flower, right? Or the concentrate. Do you fear though, that that type of growth will diminish the, like perceive you guys as people that are using the cannabis industry to catapult the launch of their lifestyle brand? And how do you, 
how do you like hedge your bets to not let that happen? You know, I, I think our goal is to become a lifestyle brand. And I think we're fully comfortable for people to know that. I, I think that that is the end goal for us. Um, happens to be right now our number one territory by revenue and, and by volume. And so in South Beach, where this store is, and by the way, this store is inside of Dave Grutman's new hotel that he did with Pharrell. It's called the Good Time Hotel. Um, and Dave Grutman is a, a shareholder in, in Praetorian, the parent company of ours. And uh, he's been a, almost like a mentor to my brother recently. Um, but basically what I'm trying to get to is at the Lifestyle Binsk store, our Binsk products are sold at a True Leave store a couple blocks away. So we're still trying to drive awareness to the fact that our THC products are available. We're just not legally selling them at this store. We're selling in the country. They're, they're available. They're, I think, in like 11 or 13 states right now. But we are exclusive with True Leave in Florida. And so Binsk products are sold at all 117 doors of True Leaves in Florida. And the idea of this Miami showcase for the lifestyle is to drive more awareness to the brand's presence in Florida and continue to drive sales and, and increase patient count in Florida. So um, that's kind of full circle on it. Yeah. There again, it's like this is a very crucial decision that you guys have made, right? Kind of like the quality of the products is you are actually choosing to elevate three brands, at least contract at this point, you're choosing to elevate, elevate three brands instead of doing which what I think would be typical is to showcase your own brand within your store. And so if you think about the long-term effects of that, you're solidifying these relationships even deeper between Intelligentsia, Lakeep, Trulief. You're all grateful to each other. It, that's an insanely smart thing to do when you think about how much potential, again, it goes back to, you know, your brand, right? You know, where you can take this, you know, how big it can get. So you're not sweating the small stuff, like making sure that Binsk J's are sold at the counter in the Binsk store. Instead, you're uplifting the experience. I like that. Yeah. I think it's also letting everyone do what they're best at, right? Like for us to go build yes. out a coffee program inside of our store, when we don't know anything about coffee, why not bring in the, the leaders of the coffee industry in the U S what we believe to be intelligentsia. Why not bring in what Jake and I believe to be our favorite clothing brand in the world and have Lakeep clothes inside of our store instead of us going to print Binsk logos on, on hats and t-shirts and doing merch <laughs> like any other brand would do. We said we don't want merch. We want apparel. There's a huge difference between merch and apparel. Merch is slapping your logo on basic items. Apparel, we created a, an original cut and sew garment line of, of, of our own favorite items with Lakeep. How did you, how did you manage that partnership? Because that, that seems to me like a further stretch is to bring clothing and cannabis together that's not like hemp cargo shorts for the guy going to the Grateful Dead show, right? This is a, a much different collaboration. <laughs> Coffee on paper makes sense right away for the reasons that you alluded to earlier. So how do you, how did you choose to bring these two worlds together of Lakeep's fashion and your products? I think for starters, going back to the wear the party days when I said I wasn't wearing the clothes at the end and it was driving me crazy, like Jake and I are just wanting to do what we like, you know, Intelligentsia, Lakeep, these are some of our favorite brands. Um, on on the clothing side and why we decided to get there, it was if, if we are going to enter this lifestyle world and we're going to go down this path, then what does that mean, right? Are we going to do a, a sunglasses collab, a hat, a bicycle, art, uh, you know, what, what does that mean for lifestyle? 
Um, we believe that right now, every other cannabis brand and even alcohol companies, right? Like I saw Tito's merch the other day. Tito's is just throwing a logo onto a basic hat, basic keychain, basic items. No one is really doing this. No one is creating a, an actual clothing line based around their, their brand. And so, um, my, my first cousin, Zach, who's one of my best friends, he went to college with the owner of Lakeep. His name's also Alex. And so... I first met, um, I met this guy, Alex, probably like 12, 14 years ago for the first time now. And he originally launched a brand called T-Squad and him and his wife, Katie, originally launched a brand called T-Squad. It morphed into the squad and then it morphed into L'Equipe. L'Equipe is obviously French for the team. And so squad, team, it's all been an evolution of the same brand. And now at this point in the last 12 months, I, I believe they've had Kanye West and, and Russell Westbrook and, and Black, the, the rapper, just posted on his new album wearing a Lakeep, Jake Paul. The last couple months, it's just been a exponential uplift in terms of celebrities and, and awareness to this brand. Um, Jake and I reached out to them about a year and a half ago and decided that we wanted to start to build out a clothing line with them. And so the new website, when you go to Binsk.com, you have a THC section where you can enter the THC side and then boom, you enter the lifestyle side. And so having Lakeep clothes on our website and e-commerce and in our boutique, having Lakeep inside of our Miami store, we actually think and, and thought it made a lot of sense to bring a clothing, a, a well-respected high-end clothing line to the table and, and make it part of this. And last piece that I'll tell you, most apparel and clothing that's out there for cannabis is like you said, very Grateful Dead-esque, right? It's very hippie-esque. It's big cannabis leaves on the hat or obnoxious stuff in your face that's like, hey, I smoke right. weed. What we've done with our art, and we we originally had a, a pretty famous artist from the UK seven years ago craft a, a series of four of these. I'll turn my screen for a little, but you can see that there's, there's one, two, three, four. And so um, we had an artist from the UK make these for us years ago. And since then we've deconstructed individual elements and assets off of the collage. Cause these are technically all collages that he put together. And so these people are on Binsk products and enjoying the higher life without having to show the bong in their hand, right? We're trying to take away that whole notion of Canamingo show the expression right. of Binsk through a different way. And so our Lakeep collaboration, the shirts, the pants, the, the, the socks, the bathing suits, they all have the Binsk animals behind me and elements and assets coming to life through the clothing. And again, the idea is I know what's good. I'm on the higher life, but I don't need you to know that I am wearing a shirt with a, a bong and a big cannabis leaf on it. What, what inspires you? on on this journey like what what are your the people that in the past have sparked you to to keep pushing down this because again it's you guys are very much flying by the intelligent seat of your pants you keep doing things that you want to do that jake wants to do and your business wants to do but what what pushed you to be that type of business leader because it feels it feels different, and I mean this in a wonderful way. I mean, it's almost refreshing to hear you talk about the different things that you're doing with the enthusiasm uh, that you talk about them with. Are there people that you looked up to that you saw doing this type of thing, maybe passively or actively along this journey that that pushed you to do this? 
Yeah, there are, is something that I love. And I think after the Bint ship has officially sailed, whenever that day comes, I'll, I'll always want to stay in some yeah. sort of brand building. I don't know if that means cannabis brand building, but the idea of just growing a brand is something that I really do love and enjoy. Um, back to infancy stages of this industry, being a true trailblazer and being in an industry that's never been done before, there are technically no mentors for me to go ask on how to do this, right? Because no one's done this before. At the same time, you can take comparisons from alcohol and all other industries. And I obviously have taken right. those comparisons and, and talked yes. to those people. Um, one, of, one of the main roles that I've been serving at this company has been CMO for the last couple of years. I've, I've been running the marketing department. And one of our mutual best friends, Abe, is Greg Fass. And, and Greg was somebody that kind of helped me understand this idea of disruptive marketing and turning a bad situation into a good situation and trying to figure out ways to, to do something to have a, a video that goes viral or, or getting getting PR off something that you don't really deserve because you're not paying for that media content, right? But you're, you're actually doing something that's disruptive and innovative in a unique way. And so um, when Greg and I started talking about this years ago, it's been something that stuck with me. And so for example, our Instagram page got shut down years ago. And while most cannabis brands, when their page get that, that's not good enough for me. And that we're going to go take a, a, a thought leader position in the space to understand why are these cannabis brands pages getting shut down? And all of a sudden, we ended up having interviews. We wrote a letter to Instagram. Bloomberg covered it. Adweek covered it. And we went and got a ton of PR about why our cannabis brand's page is getting turned down. And it went from a negative situation into a really positive situation. And positive. What was happening with that? Like, I can think of, you know, off the top of my head, really inappropriate things that you can see on Instagram, right? I mean, indecent exposure I mean, you can watch videos of people getting hurt really bad i mean the the filter for what you can come in contact with seems broken and maybe that's because there's so many millions of people on the platforms it's hard to regulate maybe the ai isn't proficient at regulating it so how is it that essentially porn can come through your instagram yet a legal cannabis ad can't what are some of the challenges in marketing there and what have you learned from reaching out and, and petitioning and actually having these discussions with high level uh social media employees yeah i mean this is a really interesting point that you brought up right now in the cannabis industry the instagram and social media is as a whole is a big issue um cannabis brands are having a big are having a, a real trouble um, talking to their customers on, on the Instagram platform. Pages are getting shut down. Stories are getting taken down. And, in, and, and on behalf of the cannabis industry, we don't know why that's happening, right? So let's talk about, let's talk about models for a second. And models is, is I'm talking about like a, a female model on Instagram in particular. They know that the line that they can't cross is their nipple. And so what do they do? They do left boob, right boob, cleavage, under boob. They put emojis over the nipple. They know where the line is and then they straddle that line, right? And on behalf of, of the cannabis industry as a whole, we don't know what our cannabis nipple is. Is it hashtag 420? Is it pictures of buds? Is it talking about promotions at stores? 
we have, is it a disgruntled employee, right? Is it an employee that we terminated a couple months ago that's now just flagging the page and getting us in trouble? We don't know what is causing all of these pages to constantly get shut down. And on behalf of the cannabis people, we need to know what is our cannabis nipple so that we can straddle that line. Because I, I promise you, just like me and all my other colleagues in the industry, we would adhere to that. We would comply. We just don't know what is causing it. And I understand Instagram's rules and regulations were, were originally constructed, you know, 10 plus years ago before legalization at, at this scale. But at, at this point, if Instagram wants to keep us on there and, and wants to not lose all of us, then we have to be able to update policies and guidelines of where we're at. TikTok is another massive issue right now that's going on with, with cannabis and they constantly are taking stuff down. Um, LinkedIn is a place that I actually do most of my work and have thought provoking conversations and post a lot of the stuff that I'm working on because it can live there. With the, the social media thing, I mean, just to, to, I guess, play devil's advocate here, right? Yeah. I could see why, because marijuana isn't legal in every single state, and social media runs across state lines, you know, it's hard to police that. So I feel like it would be much easier to just not allow any kind of cannabis marketing until it's completely legal on a federal level. Is that some of what you're hearing from them? Like, the, obviously, that doesn't solve the problem of, you know, finding that fine line for nudity. Um, but I could like that's got to be what they're saying, right? It's like, well, it's not legal on a federal level, so we don't want any of it on the platform. Right, but they they have there's some cannabis brands that even have the blue check mark, the verification badge. So Instagram is now verifying some cannabis companies as a legitimate company with a blue verification badge while kicking all these other people off, you know, when you bring up the, the marketing piece, I'm not even saying, let us pay for marketing. Let's, let's do sponsored ads and, and let's do that. We just want to have a, even a private page, right? Make, you know how websites have landing pages of are you 21 or plus before you get onto the page? Like we would love to have yeah. a, are you 21 or, or over landing page before you can see the content on the Binsk page. And furthermore, it, if, if you're in Texas or you're in you know, a state like Missouri, Alabama, or I guess Missouri just went, but some of these states that don't have a, a cannabis program, you can still go on to a cannabis company's website. You can still see visibility as to what's going on outside of your state. So I, I do think, yes, you're probably right. They're waiting for federal legalization. But newsflash is that Colorado right. and Washington went legal in 2012, 2013. It's now been 10 years and we still don't have federal legalization, right? It's been 10 years. How much longer are we going to go? And so I, to, yes, you're right. They were waiting for federal legalization, but we don't want to keep waiting for federal legalization. We want a platform to talk to our customers and, and fan base and communicate with. So what's your, you know, it's funny now looking like talking about what we were mentioning in the beginning here is like you grow where the party without social media, you've also grown Binsk with not without social media, but you've grown Binsk with clear social media problems, right? You've had challenges and, and marketing hoops that you're having to jump through as business that other brands aren't facing if they're making like shoes or apparel or uh, luggage or something like that. So it, it's kind of this thing that's been a theme within your career of like growing brands outside of that. Yet, if you look at any other company, social media is such an integral part of brand awareness because I would say, and I don't know any of the numbers on this stuff, but 
most people probably go through Instagram before they go through Google to look at a brand or a product, unless you know specifically what it is exactly that you're going to buy. Yeah. So if I'm like, okay, I want this specific running shoe, then I'll go to Google because I want to find the best deal. But if I want Nike's, I'm not going to go to Nike.com. I'm going to go to Nike's Instagram page. And going back to the consumer engagement and experience, when you go to the page, you get a snapshot of the lifestyle. Nike goes, bam, this is who we are. This is what we're about. And so again, it's that opportunity to feed your product, to feed your, your brand, your lifestyle, and your feeling to someone that they might not get if they're going through a web page or a store. So do you see this as being this crazy hurdle that like must be jumped in the growth of Binsk or how do you plan to handle that if if this doesn't get resolved if you guys are continually up against these problems on social platforms so you will never see cannabis or cannabis products or dispensary talk ever again on the Binsk page we've now launched a second page called Binsk underscore happenings and that's where we talk about where Binsk happenings are taking place from the retail level we're running these promotions, we're launching these products. And so all of the THC stuff is now on Binsk happenings and all of the lifestyle stuff is on the, the, the legacy Binsk page. Um, this is what we feel like is our only choice at this point. We wanna protect the, the integrity of the, the Binsk page and the followers that we've built for this last six and a half, seven years that we've amassed. And we've just decided to separate THC from lifestyle to avoid this continuing to come up because we don't see any other choice to do this. Um, as a reminder on the THC side, THC can't cross state lines, right? So to run a multi-state cannabis brand like we are doing, you must regrow, reproduce, re-extract, resell, redistribute the products inside of every single territory. So Abe, you live in, in you know, uh, Encinitas area. When you go to your local dispensary, you walk into the shop there and all of those products on a dispensary shelf were produced inside of California. Same with Florida, same with Michigan, same with every single state. You know, if you and I, Abe, were starting a new business together today and we were going to make hats like the one you're wearing, we would have centralized production for our hats and we would distribute our hats all over. We don't that we're in. It's basically six different siloed businesses from one another. Right. And now to manage that on social media, not to mention you're now talking about Florida updates, Michigan, and you're trying to talk to different followers in different states while also trying to stay above the line and not right. getting in trouble with Instagram. And so the only real voice that we have, especially because we mentioned earlier, we're not in retail. We don't have the ability to talk to our customers coming into our stores because we sell wholesale to dispensaries all over the country. Um, it's a difficult situation for us and it, it's hard to navigate and we're trying to do the best that we can, but it, it's quite difficult. Is that, is that a challenge that alcohol industry faces as well? Do, are they limited in what they can promote on social platforms? They can't talk about um, health benefits and there's, there's a lot of ambiguity on what they can discuss in terms of this Bud Light will make you feel like this, right? That right. that's where they can't. That's where they have to be careful, and there's they have to uh, navigate some compliance issues around what they can and can't say in terms of our products will make you feel X. Um, but if you think about it, Super Bowl commercials, right? Like it, they're able to market and advertise to the mass. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest here. Alcohol, alcohol companies they are doing everything that they can to tell you that if you get drunk, you're going to have a good time. Like, let's call a spade a spade. I mean, 
and you're going to be that guy, right? They have beautiful girls around you. Yeah. They 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 make it seem that once you could pop this bottle, right. your life is going to be in hand. Which is so not true. <laughs> Which is so not true. It's the opposite. We've all come to realize, you know, since the days in Boulder when we were binge drinking, it's we've realized that this is a poison to the body. Right. It's It's actually the complete opposite. Getting drunk is never the cool guy anymore. You look like an idiot every time. Um, for cannabis right now, you need to prove that your audience is over 75% over the age of 21. So for the most part, most states, you don't see billboards, you don't see radio ads, and we're not able to do big scale advertising right now. To, to be honest, the you're sitting in a race car with your foot almost on the gas pedal. I mean, if if there's a position to be in, it seems that your position is the best one to be in because you're doing all of this with a handicap, right? You, you are growing this brand. You're getting the partnerships done. You're doing all this stuff. And you're not even liberated with the normal advertising channels that a business is, has available. I mean, you're doing this all on a peg leg. <laughs> yeah, we are. A lot of events, a lot of social media type of stuff that we can straddle that line. Um, for example, in Miami, we just did this awesome event called Movies and Doobies, and we had a, a boat that was out on the water 200 feet out with a huge screen, and we played Wedding Crashers on 420 in Miami. We had a couple hundred people there. Um, so we're, we're actively doing things all over the country on a daily basis. We also do vendor days. So you know when you walk into a liquor store and there's a rep there that says, hey, have you tried our new whiskey? We now do that same concept inside dispensaries all over the country every single day. Have you tried Bensk? Have you heard of us? Grab some swag. Wow. And so we're doing everything that we can to continue to drive brand awareness. Um, but the alcohol comparisons are just really interesting because they keep coming up and, and it's everyone wants to compare us to alcohol. And there's obviously many things to compare. And then there's many things that it's like, how, how is this even a conversation right now? I mean, it really is. I've, I've always been fascinated by how i mean how un dissimilar they are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of lives have been absolutely shattered by alcohol use from alcoholism yep. to drunk driving to accidents to abuse to domestic violence i mean show me a bigger culprit to problems in the world than alcohol right i don't you know you don't know many people that get high and then commit a heinous crime or smoke marijuana and then beat the shit out of their dog or something. It's just not, it's so uncommon. It's, it's a more relaxed, more relaxing, chill thing. The, the fact that it's perceived this way, I mean, I'm sure you could probably go into the history of like why there's legalization issues around marijuana and the lobbying and not alcohol and everything. But the fact that we're in 2022 and there's still such hard lines in the sand against something that is so clearly not that bad for you. Yeah. It's kind of mind blowing. I'm on it. So I told you earlier, I'm on a plane once or twice a week right now. Let's just think about, think about the, the business trip that I go on, right? You walk through airport security, the only drug available, alcohol. You get onto your plane, the, the, the flight attendants, the only drug available, alcohol. You get to your hotel mini bar, alcohol. Restaurant that night for dinner, alcohol. Alcohol has penetrated everything that we do as this perceived clean, healthy drug or the drug of choice, right? I can't tell you how often I talk to people that tell me, no, I don't do cannabis. I, I don't do drugs. But then they drink three martinis that night. 
Like, who are we kidding, right? Alcohol yeah, is a straight up poison to the body with no medical benefit whatsoever and only harm, to your point. And cannabis now has a laundry list yes. of medical benefits, not even mentioning CBD and the other cannabinoids in the plant. But cannabis is obviously a medicine for so many people. It's helped with so many illnesses from PTSD to epilepsy to insomnia to stress, anxiety, and everything in between. Um, and I am fully on your page in terms of the awareness to how bad really alcohol is and in, in comparing it. You know, the other interesting thing to, to talk about that we were talking about offline before this podcast started was the potency issues, right? Right now in, in the cannabis industry, the yeah. highest testing flower is selling for a premium. It sells faster and quicker than the lower testing stuff. But sometimes the lower testing stuff is a better product. So let's again compare to alcohol here. What's happening in the cannabis industry is the equivalent to Everclear selling for more money than Blue Label or 1942, right? We all know that Blue Label and 1942, for example, are a better finished quality product than let's say 151 grain alcohol Everclear. Even though Everclear grain alcohol is a higher alcohol content, the, the other products are better finished quality products. And right now in the cannabis industry, this is a massive issue that's tied to lack of consumer education and awareness of what's going on. But it, it's, it's eye-opening for me to witness this every single day of the Everclear selling for more than the Blue Label in the 1942. And it's another perfect analogy that I, I think resonates with many people when you think about it like that. And so you're saying that a product like Binsk is it's kind of like the 1942 it's the quality of ingredients it's the finished product it's the high-end top shelf of marijuana and you guys are getting not you're not getting beat out but there's other products that are absolute trash that are selling at a premium right people are adding infusions into their joints for example where it's covered in distillate or key for additional hash of not quality products but it jacks the number up and right now, every single cannabis product, when you flip it over and you look at the testing label, because as a reminder, every product sold into a legal dispensary has to go through third-party testing that has the metrics on the data of the certificate of analysis of what's inside this product. And so there's a, a numerical value tied to every product, 26%, 32%. And while I'm okay with THC percentage being a factor, it can't be the factor. And right now in the industry, it is the factor. And so people don't know and all they see is this number and they say with their twenty dollars in my in their hand after a long day of work, how far can this twenty dollars get me? How many milligrams, how high can I get with this twenty dollars, right? And so yes, the, the quality of the product for some of these brands is not good quality, but they it's like it's brutal to watch. It it it's um it's just not correct and we assume the market will correct itself at some point. What do you want to happen? Like, let's say Al has it his way. I walk into a dispensary tomorrow. What's different about my experience as a consumer? I, so right now, there's a lot of misconceptions in the industry. For example, sativa indica is just completely bogus. Obviously, right. there's differences between sativa and indica, but many people believe that sativa is equal to a line of cocaine and indica is equal to a Xanax. And that right. people actually think indica stands for in the couch. Like people believe that. <laughs> no way. I, I know people that think indica stands for in the couch and that sativa is 
I'm ready to go to a, you know, Tiesto concert. And that's just so far from the reality of the situation. There are properties tied. Dude, who are, the, who are these people? <laughs> that they only smoke Indicas at night and they only smoke Sativas in the morning. And the reality is, Abe, if you and I pass the Sativa joint back and forth or we had a group of friends around here, some may feel euphoric and, and have a, a, a nice little head high and, and feel a little energetic. And some people may be ready to take a nap. There is no uniform continuity of this product and, and this type of plant sativa means this. And so these are the type of things that we need to do to help educate the consumer base. Um, terpene profile right. testing is something that is going to continue to come out. There are a ton of terpenes inside of cannabis plants, along with foods, right? Mangoes, strawberries, all of these different fruits in, in general and, and other herbs have all sorts of unique terpenes tied to them. And these cannabis varietals also do. And so what's going to happen over the next few years is terpene testing is going to become way more visible and, and readily available to consumers. So knowing what myrcene does for you or limonene, there are a laundry list, again, of terpenes that are tied to each strain. And we are going to move towards terpene education and understanding how will these products make me feel? Because that's actually what is making people feel the certain ways that they are. See, that kind of stuff, I'm super on board for things like that because I, I've always felt, I'm, I'm not the world's biggest marijuana consumer, but like the the TV, I just, I never know. I'm like, I don't know, put it in the bag. Like I want to get out of here. But things that are actually listed as on the medical benefit side of this is actually what's happening on a physiological level, proven, yeah. that stuff, I think you, you bridge the gap into more performance thing. Like the performance discussion is tough sometimes, I feel like for the marijuana industry to have. That bridges the gap because now you're talking about medical reasons why on a physiological level this is going to affect you in X, Y, or Z ways. Fact. Not this is a clever marketing ploy by some cannabis company that we're going to put sleepy face and, and happy face on this one and then that way people are going to understand that this is for partying and this one's for going to bed. Like, do away with all that shit and put it in a succinct, easy to understand way that actually gives the consumer an understanding of how it's going to affect them on a like cellular level. So it's nice to hear that that's the way it's going to go. <laughs> yeah, it is. Not going to mention any names, but there was a vape company that had a, a shop on Abbott Kinney and their whole thing was these moods. It, it told you how it's going to make you feel. And it's literally marketing 101. It, it's not correct because that's not yeah, uniform and that's not how everyone's going to. Well, also, it's like going to buy liquor and walking in and seeing vodkas based on how the mood, euphoric, sleepy. And like, who buys a, a drug like alcohol based on uh, an idea of a mood that it's going to create for you, right? Drunk is drunk. So um, yep. this is something that will continue to come out. And you're right, we, we need to do it. The, the bottom line is, is that these cannabinoids, I believe there's over 145 of them now, CBD and THC are the ones that basically everyone listening to this will obviously know, but CBN, CBG, THCV, there are a bunch of other ones that are in the pipeline that are coming out. If you go into any California dispensary now, you can find products with CBN, CBG, CBD, they have a variety of different things like helping you with sleep and help, you know, th the industry is still in research phase. We're still trying to figure this all out, but we've realized that some, some of these cannabinoids are an appetite suppressant, so you won't get the munchies, which many people listening to this probably don't consume as much cannabis because they don't want the munchies, right? I hear that all the time. So there will continue to be more updates with cannabinoids and the ratios at which they're deployed, a five to two to one, a 10 to three to one, and, and how 
they feel like this ratio based on testing will help with migraines, with PTSD, with um, menstrual cramps and, and period times, right? So as time goes on, these cannabinoidal ratios will continue to come out in development towards um, different medical benefits. And so now you are seeing edibles with a, a moon on them and, and they're endorsing the idea of sleepy time edibles based on their cannabinoid ratio. And so um, this is just something else that is moving along and, and evolving as the industry unfolds. Well, speak, speaking of evolution within the industry, now I know specifically Binsk is not playing the psychedelics game right now and, and no plans to immediately here in the future. But I know that you you go to conferences, you, you're exposed to a lot of the information around psychedelics, around legalization, lobbying, and, and the legislation there. So can you tell me a little bit about what is the United States specifically looking at in terms of psychedelics, psilocybin, and legalization over the next, I don't know, 10-year period? Yeah. So this is actually something that's really fascinating to me. Uh, like you said, Binsk is by no means getting involved in this. We have no plan to. We're not touching it at all. But I personally am very interested in the space. I've been following the space for a while. I've actually been low-dose, microdosing psilocybin for over a year now, almost two years now. Um, I, I think that psilocybin is a unbelievable drug, an unbelievable tool for us to use medicine. I, I, sorry, I said drug, an unbelievable medicine and tool for us. The, the funny thing is, is that it's always been classified in this group of illicit drugs that do, you know, way more harm than let's say alcohol. But the reality is, is people are aware Again, that false fung fungus, which by the way, we're all made from fungal matter. We're apians, right? So we came from fungal matter. And so the fact that fungus and, and in particular psilocybin is making its stride back into a, a medical, um, uh, into the position of being in, in as a true medical benefit in the way that it is as a medicine to so many um, in psilocybin as a whole, as a reminder for cannabis, decriminalization was the beginning of legalization. So as, as a cannabis executive and somebody that's been in the industry for a while, we do feel that medical mushrooms in particular, as well as ketamine, LSD, and a bunch of other, uh, a bunch of other drugs in the pipeline will become medically available in the next few years. There is what's happening as a you have states like Oregon and Colorado that are starting to do decriminalization of these. And then you have federal legalization from the top level coming down. Um, the question is, is, is the top going to come down before the bottom goes up or where do they meet? And so it, it funny enough, it looks like cannabis is going to end up being uh, paving the landscape for psychedelics. They always said cannabis is a gateway drug. And it's funny to now think about cannabis paving the, the way for psychedelics. Exactly. Um, but it is fascinating. And it's something that, again, I'm, I'm really passionate about. I, I do think that psychedelics have the ability to maybe tap into SSRIs, right? SSRIs, I believe the last metric I saw were a $5 trillion industry last year. And that's Zoloft, Lexapro and, and all these other companies. And, and there's a, a there's a publicly traded psychedelic company by the name of Mind Medicine. That's uh, the Kevin O'Leary company and their their mission statement is to try to get psilocybin on a low dose scale into the hands of some of these patients that are, are currently on SSRIs and, and getting them off of antidepressants and to use something that's not made in the synthetic lab. And then another cool story is Lamar Odom, uh, the ex-NBA player, is becoming a, uh, a colleague of mine, a friend of mine. We've been talking a lot recently and 
he's about to release a story about his journey through ketamine. He was um, dealing with major mental depression and, and anxieties and was borderline suicidal. And through ketamine and, and intensive ketamine um, usage and treatments, he has now turned the corner and he's back onto a great track. He's healthy yeah. again and, and he has used a, a, a substance that was always thought to be illicit and harmful and bad like ketamine to turn his life around. And that story is, uh, that movie is actually, um, there was a documentary that was out and now they're working on another movie, but uh, Zappy, who's a friend of mine, is a, a good, is one of the, the, the drivers of ketamine right now in the entire world. And Lamar is, is his prodigy in terms of the advocate for mental health. And it's, uh, it, it's something that I'm also really passionate about is mental health as a whole and understanding how these drugs and medicines can actually benefit you. I was, I did a, an episode podcast episode with Julie Magler, who's, uh, she runs stage integrative health up in Berkeley and they do ketamine assisted therapy. And it was really interesting to hear how powerful some of the work that they're doing is. And some of the assistance that they're able to provide people that historically have been really left alone with their, their ailments of PTSD, depression, all this kind of stuff. And looking at ketamine, which, you know, people wouldn't touch with a 30 foot pole. I mean, it had such a bad reputation. Now they're able to utilize it in a setting that provides true relief in the place of SSRIs and in the place of medication that was traditionally prescribed by a Western medicine doctor in a hospital. And it does really feel, it's funny you touched on the irony there of the gateway drug. It, it is. It's Marijuana is the gateway legislation to bring all these things that should have been legal in the first place. And we're not saying that you should be able to walk into a 7-Eleven and get a shot of heroin. That's not what we're saying at all. But these medicinal and non-medicinal treatments that have been around forever that are much safer than what's legally available in alcohol are actually starting to become available and in, in a top of coming available they're actually impacting people's lives positively in controlled settings it's not we're not saying bros going to the beach and doing ketamine together in controlled medical settings with professionals it's kind of exciting to think about what is going to happen over the next 10, 15 years as this stuff starts to roll out and follow a lot of the footsteps that you guys in the cannabis industry have pioneered. So that'll be cool to see. Yeah. hundred percent. I, uh, the beans to a ketamine ceremony, uh, last year through, uh, to the industry. And it was one of the most, um, one of the pros, mo one, one of the most, most eye-opening entire life, and I, I and, and actually be like really sense, but doing it once, experience it, it I, I, I you and the benefit that and you're getting from it. It was an incredible experience. Well, you're recognized within the industry as being a leader. We're talking about how you've helped lead this industry to the place that it is now with your brand, also paving the way for some of these other elements to make headway. You're recognized by the Cannabis Business Awards as the top cannabis exec in the industry, which came by complete surprise to you. Can you tell me a little bit about being in that room, not expecting to win this award, and not only what it was like, but what it's like to be up on that type of stage, rubbing shoulders with 
some of these other executives that have been in the industry forever, and you're only five years into your career. It's um award show in Miami last month called Cannabis Business Awards, and I saw that I was nominated executive of the year. Um, my fellow my fellow nominees were all CEOs or COOs publicly traded cannabis companies in the world, including uh, the CEO of Truly was on there and CEO of Verano and CEO of AYR Wellness. Just some top high, some people that I look up to. Straight that people I look up to as fellow nominees. And I was pumped to just be nominated. And I honestly didn't think anything of it. I, I didn't think that I would win. Um, based on just the, the names and the resumes of the people as my fellow nominees, right? And to your point, their track record, how they got, how long I've been here in my previous cannabis track. So um, they went and announced a winner and, and they said my was pretty startled. I, I was kind of shocked. I um, walked up on stage and Chloe, who, who handed me the mic, and I looked at her like... <laughs> right now and she kind of gave me the look like you don't have anything prepared and so i turned around and gave the old uh i it was it was one of those like the uh it was like the oscars or the grammys when you you say i actually didn't have anything prepared i it was that was the moment i had which was uh sorry guys i don't actually have anything prepared but then uh went and appreciated everyone for being there and the, the votes and, and um to your point earlier about the third party validation of i work my my tail off and i am said earlier at least once a week right now living a crazy life i'm how how are you not burnt out yet how do you keep doing this and to get some recognition by some fellow colleagues in the industry that i look up to and to be awarded by Cannabis Business Awards as the executive of the year was an unbelievable milestone for me in my career and the company as a whole. The amount of people yeah. that reached out to me from our investors to uh, partners of ours to to congratulate me and, and to tell me the job, job I am doing and, and um, kudos to me and et cetera. It felt great to, to get that reassurance and um, it's further motivation to keep doing it, right? It, yeah. It's keep driving. The, the question I get all the time of how do you, how do you keep you burn out, aren't you tired? But like, on the prize, right. Right. end of the tunnel here, we are a ship that has been built. We've set out to sail, and we have we have, have land in sight, right? We, we, we have, have an exit strategy. We here, we have unbelievable C suite executives that have been brought into this company. The leadership here is unbelievable, from our C stars to. to our head of uh, uh, you know, the ONI, arm that, the acquisition that we made with ONI, have on the ONI front to my brother's, uh, my brother's experience. So the team that we've built is just, uh, it's unbelievable to look around the room and see who these employees are with this company, the team that we've built uh, from almost 100 employees right now. It, it, yeah. It's pretty to look around and just take it all in every day. Do you ever think about like a Binsk hotel or, or like a Binsk destination type experience? I just, I know you're, you're very forward thinking in, in your business. We touched on a lot of the different brand points already with the different partnerships that you do, but just expanding on that lifestyle idea, what is it in the future for Binsk beyond 
the Miami store beyond the partnerships that you already have in the works? Yeah, I mean, I think the lifestyle piece is, is really like that it's Dora's box do right my list of collaborations that i'd like on is is getting long I, i'd like to continue building on this collaboration that for us is just further expansion where we are in six states like i mentioned earlier with us but i'm trying to get into 16 and then 26 i'm trying to i'm trying to get into the european markets i'm going to a conference in berlin in a couple of weeks and we're actively trying to get into germany and israel um israel for international exportation so once we get binsk in export Damn. to eight Damn. other countries um, um there are L'chaim. there's so many things that we can do with this over the next couple of the reality is is just keeping it down and grinding right now well dude from from getting suspended um in college for marijuana to growing the business over to where you have over the last five years getting awarded cannabis business executive of the year and then having all this kind of stuff on the table it's it really is inspiring i mean it's i i obsess over people that have chosen to not do the typical thing to take the risks to do the less traveled path because you're you're kind of the perfect expression of what you can do with that to create these partnerships and these things that mean so much to you way beyond just transactional dollars right it's not just a product for some money and then scaling that. I mean, you're, you're creating, you're living your life, which I feel like is the most important part of that. And you're not compromising who you are in that process. So it's a, an honor to call you a friend. You inspire me all the time to keep pushing to my different stuff. So thank you so much, dude, for taking the time to be here for doing you and growing the hell out of this business. And we're going to have to do this again, a hundred percent, maybe with some Vince product in, on the screen. I want you to be trying product on the air with us. Next time we got to do a little. All right, we'll, all do right. it. we'll do it. It's my show. I can do whatever I want. I'll do whatever I want. It's my show. We'll do it. All right. We'll see how our performance <laughs> does on, on and off cannabis. <laughs> Probably. But thanks Pretty for having bad. me, Abe. Yeah. Hey, brother, my, too, and I, I look up to what you're doing, love everything that you're doing. And I get... Awesome, brother.